0: welcome everyone to what the force i'm marie claire gould and i'm missy and we are following willow this is our meta mythic fairy tale deep dive into the show willow we are both huge willow fans and we will of course fangirl along the way please make sure to like and subscribe on your podcast app of choice or on youtube to keep up with the show show your support by commenting on wherever you found the show uh, or on Twitter. It helps generate all of this fun buzz around the show. And of course, submit your comments or questions to me and Missy in the link in the liner notes for our form for the next episode. And with that, let's dig into our audience comments and questions. We have selected three beautiful comments slash questions uh, to to talk over. Missy, did you want to read the first one?
1: Sure. Um, so this comes from... Yes, yes. This comes from Help. This is I really like the point about Eric and Alora having an immature love connected with the perpetual symbolic childhood that Sorcia has kept them in, and I wonder if something similar is going on with Kit and Jade in terms of their current love, bearing the marks of that arrested growth, and needing them to perhaps part for a time and come back together, and what myths and fairy tales might provide a template for how they'd handle that. I love this question. I really it's, do. I'm, it's really great. Love it yeah. so much. It's an important question. And I I just want to say, you know, kind of as a framing for the response, I really wish we had more of Kit and Jade's story so far. I think it's moving at a slower pace than I would prefer. It can makes it difficult to kind of tell where they're gonna take it. Or maybe I just really want more angst for them. But yeah, I I think that without knowing precisely where they're going with it and Exactly what myths or fairy tales they might lean into. My instinct says yes, they'll need to be separated. If not physically, then at least emotionally for a period of time. And specifically, I think we're talking mostly growth for Kit Jade to some extent, but definitely for Kit a lot. I think that we've seen that Kit is very, very selfish, and you know she's always going to put other concerns kind of ahead of. Jade. And so I think that at some point she's going to have to face the very real possibility of losing Jade in order to, uh, you know, learn how important she is to her and Mm -hmm. um, hopefully then get her back. So it is on some level kind of a lost bride story for Kit, or at least that's how I view it.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think it'll be physical just because that's the best way to make the metaphorical literal. And Willow, as a franchise, has leaned into that. We actually got a lot of that, even in this episode. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, Jade's issue is that she doesn't feel worthy. Of much, right? Like she's, she's lacking in confidence. And in fact, this was actually quite a bit of growth in this particular episode where she was able to actually admit her failings as a friend that I've been lying to you this whole time, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but it. Is the anger enough? Is the separation enough? Is I don't know if it's enough angst to actually have shown the truth of their relationship to
1: each other. So they do need to Mm -hmm. have some sort of love trial, as it were. Yes. Definitely. And the one thing that really kind of gives me hope for this is that shot from the trailer where you see Jade has fallen into the water and Kit is re- is swimming down, reaching for her, trying to get her out. And I am guessing from context clues in this scene that this is going to come fairly late in the season. I think that it's going to become a question of Kit can, you know, she can either pursue something else that's important to her, whether it's trying to rescue eric or whether it's trying to get the cuirass or whether it's trying to you know defeat Mm -hmm. the crone or whatever it is that she's attempting to do or she can save jade and she will need to make the decision to save jade because jade is what's most important to her
0: and we've already had that sort of play out in a hypothetical scenario this episode where she confronts jade to say like why didn't you kill him i would have been fine and jade kind of says you're more important i didn't train you as well as I probably should have, but you're still more important than killing this, you know, possessed former mentor of myself. Yeah,
1: Because Jade is more mature than Kit. So even though Jade has her own stuff, she still needs to work out. She is more mature. And Kit is more of a main character than Jade is because she is Eric's sister and and Mad Margaret and Sorcia's daughter and everything. Yeah, so I I still think this is really going to focus on Kit and her hang-ups and Uh, It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see, but I think I I really think we're going to catch more Lost Bride. And what that means is that she's going to break some kind of taboo. And typically the broken taboo in the case of a Lost Bride is mistreatment of her. So I think that, you know, Kit's anger and insecurity and jealousy and all her other issues at some point might boil over and she will be cruel to Jade and that will, you know cause the loss of the mm-hmm. of the fairy bride and yeah. she then she will have to Agreed. get her back.
0: All right, our next one is from Marianne Maid. Uh if we are doing a false husband storyline with Eric, will we also have him go dark at some point which means we'll assume he'll have a redemption if Lucasfilm stays true to form. How do you predict that this will look in a dark versus divine union scenario? Okay. This is all just speculation at this point, because I don't know that we know because we won't see Eric for, I don't know, maybe a little bit of time, maybe episode, maybe next episode, maybe the episode after. I'm not sure when we will actually see him. It it comes down to the line sources saying that... Bev Morda's blood still lives in Sorsha, still lives in Kit, and still lives in Eric. Does that mean that Kit will turn and be possessed or Eric will? Eric has more time in the dark place, right? Which may have him be possessed, turn to the dark side, something like that, Um, or be completely possessed by the ancient one that lives beneath. That's That's a scenario that I could see happening as well. And how it would play out is uh, yeah. instead of banishment, it would turn into possession of Elora because of previous psychological ownership over her. That's how I could see it play out.
1: I don't know. I'm I'm really curious. I think I. it's funny because as much as I love uh, theorizing, I really feel like, you know, they're keeping a lot of things close to the vest here. And we just haven't learned enough to really determine what direction that will take yet but i think it's really cool the uh, different of you and I paths are they in agreement that it. it's
0: probably a false husband scenario that eric isn't yeah
1: i think it's definitely a false husband's yeah it's definitely a false husband scenario because as we discussed last time they really um they you know they went out of their way to make their relationship awkward and uncomfortable and not in like an endearing way but in a like something is very like- wrong here kind of way um so I think that's that's fairly obvious. Not to mention the fact that he hasn't been around now for two episodes. And so that's that's not something you do when you're trying to create an in-game romance.
0: Dead. We have Graydon yelling,
1: Alora. <laughs> yeah. Multiple times in one episode. Exactly. I know. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. And
0: the last one is actually from mm-hmm. YouTube, uh, Sadeep 16, the concept about Alora and the evil witch. Uh, again, I can't spell her name. It was Babb Uh from the Babmorta. film. Is a neat one, <laughs> yeah. But makes sense within the fairy tale and folklore lore nature. Uh, I wonder if kids dislike her jealousy and her blood tie to her grandmother. If kit will be taken over by her grandmother's spirit and if the actress can't return or maybe eric was taken for that purpose as being a vessel of the power of the crone uh, because of the blood of the old witch what do you think?
1: Yeah, I it'll be really interesting to see because uh, they have. I don't know. I keep saying that, but I'm just I'm I'm sort of like open to the story they want to tell me, I guess. But they have made a real point of the bloodline already. So normally I'd, I'd say, oh, I don't know if they're going to make that a thing, but they did. They made that a big point in the very first episode, like, oh, you know, you're you're sort of tainted by Bavmorta's blood or whatever.
0: It's a checkoff's gun if they don't, right? Like they they laid it out and they're saying, "Hey, don't use this bloodline." Right? It's just hanging up there on the wall, and if they don't use it, <laughs> <laughs> if they don't use it, then it's an unused yep. story thread, which is fine. But it's better if they call it back and actually utilize it. Like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, they're totally of Bev
1: Morda's bloodline. Yeah, there's three different possible directions they can take this. You know, to, to this question, I think is the obvious one is Eric because he was captured presumably for some purpose like that, which is hey, we need your blood, you know, or something about your bloodline in order to to assist our you know evil purposes here, and then. If Kit is trying to save Eric, she could mm-hmm. offer herself in his place at some point, which means it could be her. And then obviously Alora, if she is in some way connected to Bavmorda or the Crone because of the mm-hmm. fact that her blood was taken for the ritual in the film, then it could also be her. So it could be any of the three of them ultimately who is mm-hmm. turned in some way or at some point um, in order to, yeah, and empower, I, the I crone. think the Allura one is completely
0: uh, just as valid as the other two, just because. Alora, we talked about is probably we mm-hmm. talked about this last episode is probably connected with Bavmorda Morda in some way, and thus the magic that is there. It's very but- it's very suspicious that uh, the crone, the withered crone, mm-hmm. decided to get rid of Alora the exact same way as she tried as Bev Morda tried, banishing her to the thirteenth mm-hmm. um, yeah. realm, right? The thirteenth night. Yeah, suspicious. Yeah. That's suspicious.
1: suspicious. Don't be suspicious. For sure. Sus. Sus, as the kids say.
0: All right, let's move on to our next area. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about mythic inspirations, parallels, and major themes. Uh, This kind of will help us guide our conversation. I need to start out with one that's actually quite major, and I, I sort of just ignored it for a variety of reasons when we recorded the first two episodes, even though I knew about it beforehand which is that there is a direct pull from Cthulhu mythos specifically by John Kasdan, as these scripts are being written or like written. Uh, he specifically tweeted out <laughs> on December 4th, uh, Willow Tidbit series is packed with Cthulhu mythos easter eggs, Haster, Neconic mysterious uh just in the first episode but a warning investigate further at your peril a peril at your own sanity these doorways and passages lead to ancient places okay fine john i guess i'll talk about it <laughs> you must okay why do i struggle with this uh I'm going to get a little bit personal and say, um, with with the most part, when I think about Jungian archetypes and my own shadows, because I investigate this stuff so much within the context of fiction and within my own life, there are very few shadows I haven't named, become friends with, and eaten. (laughs) They're now my shadows. I own them and I have the power (laughs) over them. There is just something about the existential dread that exists in Cthulhu mythos that I have not consumed. There's something so otherly, so otherworldly. And, and uh, the big thing about it is that the mythos is based on that the shadows that go bump in the night are not from yourself or some sort of projection of yourself. They are scary other things, alien even to uh, human psychology. They are not devils or archetypes that you can name because they've never existed within our world. They're alien. They're from some other place and cannot be called to and recognizable in our traditional sense of the word. And, you know, I... I really, I really struggled with this. Like, I had an existential crisis about covering Willow because that concept that you can never truly experience the journey home from the darkness is core to Lovecraft and all of the people that have written within the world, right? The horror is that you get never get to come home again. You're lost in the darkness forever. You go mad <laughs> and eventually you die, right? Or you get consumed by mm-hmm. the other, right? Right. I just, I think it's really important to point out that Willow and anything George lucas anything from George Lucas, does not align to that. There is always a journey home. There's always growth and transformation and apotheosis. Which is the realization of your interconnectivity Mm -hmm. with with the whole world, including the shadows and the things that go bump in the night. And I really struggled to make sense of these two things, unless John is using the language of Cthulhu mythos and the psychology of it to say you should be afraid of your subconscious. You should be afraid of the things in the language of the night that that speak to you from the shadows. And when you look at them, you shouldn't know them and you should actually be afraid of them. But in the end, when you come back from the unknown, from the underworld, the world is still the world, you know? Um, and I think that's how he's using it. So he's using it in a way to produce... Cool monsters, cool world words, and to actually be quite scary. Did that make sense, Missy?
1: Yeah, I think it did make a lot of sense. I mean, I definitely. So I, I knew nothing about so Mythos, you know when yeah. I, when I saw that comment from John. I know. Well, I get the basics right. I, I did, I did a little Wikipedia entry, right? You know, like I just, I looked it up briefly. I didn't go into any kind of depth. I haven't read any Lovecraft. I don't know. I watched Lovecraft (laughs) Country. Country. That's the extent of my interaction with Lovecraft. So I, you know, that that's it. That's it. Um, But at a high level, what I understand to be it to be is this: in a fairy tale, all knowledge is self knowledge, and all knowledge Mm -hmm. contributes to wholeness. And in Lovecraft or in Cthulhu is corrupting all knowledge and corrupting yeah. leads to madness. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So, it, so it, so it makes it difficult to your point to have any kind of internal journey because you know, it, well, and this is why it's interesting, right? Because the next thing we're going to talk about is the consumption theme, and you like eat yourself
0: basically. Yeah, I so in in sort of mythos like this um from a jungian perspective the the characters never leave the child phase mhm right they never they never right. grow up they never experience that transformation they're only uh, stuck in the labyrinth of their own uh undoing because with the horrors that surround them they never actually look inward so what we need to know is Will that happen here? And I think it's already happening. So it's not the yeah. same, right? I think that, yeah. But it, but it it's does not feel it. a bit like oil and water when you kind of compare them. That's where I have struggled and had like a lot of existential dread.
1: <laughs> like, what is going on? Well, what makes me what makes me nervous? What makes me nervous as far as this particular story is concerned is kind of what we were talking about last episode, Mm -hmm. which was we all have trust issues now with stories. We have significant trust issues with stories. We have trust issues with the fact that some creators have demonstrated that they do not understand the symbols that they are working with and that, that concerns us. So, you know, as much as I know that John's super excited to use, you know, these Cthulhu references and everything, and is like, hey, check out the Easter eggs and everything. I get nervous and I go, All right, I hope you're being very deliberate about this because I I don't want these symbols to appear in a way where the intention was just, hey, check out this cool thing. And ultimately you ended up mm. telling, you know, a, a very a yeah. story that is and not Lucasian, Yeah. Because I want Lucas. I want <laughs> yeah, Lucas where, in my Lucasfilm. Where's film the Lucas story?
0: <laughs> Put the Lucas back in Lucasfilm. Uh exactly. And and like what is important I is, know. <laughs> you know, the the thesis, the antithesis, and then the synthesis, right? Like that's we need the synthesis. That is the key to this sort of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Do I think that you can all you need to include these concepts is to realize that the horror was in you the whole time and then it's it solved from a fairy tale from a mythic structure yep. perspective but yeah it did give me a bit of a a panic attack <laughs> <laughs> thinking about it I, I hate to admit that but um and i just want to yeah. shout out uh Shihaya springs Sh- Shihaya spring for uh talking to me and letting me talk at her about these uh cthulhu mythology because it's been like 20 years since i've read much lovecraft or any of the Mm -hmm. people that are famous for writing in the world but there's more cthulhu mythos throughout this episode even and so i think it's just really important to call out and i will call out when it when i find out that it's related to cthulhu mythos it's actually the first thing i check when there's a weird name now because it invariably means that it is (laughs) <laughs> yep. all right let's move on uh consumption theme tying into uh cthulhu mythos quite well because the whole fear is that something will destroy something will come from below something will consume you yep it is everywhere in this episode as well and has continued on oh my gosh
1: yeah absolutely it's all over the place and i i I kind of love it, to be honest with you. I, I like that they're that deliberate about it, and that they're they put it in the text as much as they do. Like, like you've got characters talking about mm-hmm. being swallowed, being eaten, be you know. Then you've got more use of fire, excuse me, in a consuming way. So, I mean, it's definitely very I still intentional don't know throughout.
0: Percent what it means other than the threat of the end consumption <laughs> of what. Lies beneath, which I have thoughts on what the worm is. Um, probably time,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> metaphorically. Um,
1: yeah,
0: and it could could be straight up, you know, like a, a little worm that will eat everybody.
1: Sure, but it, it and if it is though, yeah. that doesn't mean it's not also metaphorical. But I think that the uh, I think that the reference to bloodlines and you know mm-hmm. legacies destiny expectations i think all of that indicates that you know the consumption aspect is you will be consumed by you know forces and a destiny that is beyond your control It's sort of sort of a lack of self-determination really so i feel like that seems to be a big theme in this so far because you know for better or for worse everyone feels like they must go on whatever path they've been drawn on to and that they don't have other options.
0: Yeah. It's uh time is really one of the largest, you know, like time is running out. We've already heard that a bit. Um, and like why what is so attractive about Alora Dannon is that she escapes time. She can be reborn even if she dies. And there's something in that, um that is tied to the never-ending crawl and consumption that we all experience. So, I I don't know. It, it'll it be interesting to see how this mm-hmm. plays out, but it continues, so thus we call it out. Um, there's also a theme of pairs that are being pulled apart. The brothers, Jade and Kit, the twins, uh, Hubert and Anne, the two-headed were-rat. It's all like... Pairs being separated in the story and things being separated is is a wound in this story and a consistent theme. Now let's go on to uh the part that made Missy freak mm-hmm. out.
1: Made yes. me fleeing into the dark forest. <laughs> yes. Losing my mind a little bit. Yes. I love it. Yes, I was I mean, we yeah. saw this in the um the little preview they had like the day before the episode dropped and like you had a a screenshot and we were all just like, Oh my gosh, what? So we were very, very excited about this. Um, But they think that it's important to understand maiden fleeing into a dark forest. There's no one listening to this who is not familiar with that. You've seen it and you've seen it many times many many times it shows up again and again and again probably one of the most recognizable for most people is going to be snow white and we will reference that for sure obviously you know once the her stepmother says that she must be killed the huntsman releases her and she flees through the dark forest now whether you think of the disney version or not in every possible version of the story she is Frightened. She feels that things are pursuing her. You know, she, she's just finally come face to face with the fact that someone wants to kill her. And so she's terrified. And so she's fleeing into the Dark Forest and she does eventually find refuge. But this journey through the Dark Forest is hugely important and it appears in many other stories as, as well. Um, the other one that you'll hear us talk about is going to be Vasilisa. Um, Vasilisa the Wise, Vasilisa the Beautiful, whatever they call her, and she also sort of flees into the dark forest and then finds herself at Baba Yaga's hut. That's particularly interesting because whereas Snow White, you know, came upon benevolent um, people in the forest, Vasilisa comes upon Baba Yaga, who says, "If you don't, if you don't <laughs> please me, I will eat you." <laughs> she threatens to eat her. So. Um, so it's definitely very different now. In a way, she does also still find refuge there, but with a very threatening creature who challenges her and you know gives her these trials and tests. So it's very important. And um, another th- just aspect of this that we will talk about as we get further into it is what is the dark forest? Well, yes. ultimately, it is your subconscious. Um, you'll notice that other forests have already appeared in this show. They were not shot or lit in the scary. same way as this one. Yeah. This is hugely important. Not, I'm it was scary. It was deliberately. They, they yeah. blurred the edges. Yes. They, they blurred the edges. She stumbled. She's, you know, it's dark. It Everything is is terrifying. And then when she comes upon the hut, The lighting changes, so I'm going to stop there. But the point is, this is what the framing is telling us, and all of the way that this sequence is executed is this is entirely metaphorical. This entire this is entirely subconscious. This is not necessarily something that is actually happening in reality to Alora. It is an internal journey that she's going on.
0: Yeah, and I I have a great quote that I wanted to read out to everybody it was uh, it's from sarah maitland who's uh, a british fantasy writer and she has done a lot of writing about writing <laughs> right which is also really important i think in fact if science fat science fiction and fantasy when we're talking about these things if the author is kind of looking back on their on their writing themselves and she compares the transformational magic in fairy tales and going into the dark forest uh to everyday ma- magic that caterpillars, when they turn into butterflies, something dreadful and frightening happens inside the chrysalis. We use the words cocoon now uh, to mean a safe place of safety and escape but in fact the caterpillar having constructed its own grave does not develop smoothly it grows wings onto it its body first but then disintegrates entirely breaking down into organic slime which then regenerates into a completely new form It goes as a child into a dark place and is lost and then emerges as a princess or proven hero. The forest is full of such magic and in reality, as well
1: as in stories. Yes. (laughs) I am obsessed with that quote. I'm yes. I I told Marie Claire when she read me that quote, I said, I want to eat that quote.
0: It's so good. It's so good. And it ties into like our next major mythical thing that's happening, which is Alora continuing on her hidden goddess being revealed journey. And, you know, we've already seen the orange butterfly mm-hmm. once. We know we're going to see it again. But she is a butterfly. Right. And and we noticed in some of the screenshots between mm-hmm. this week and last that her hair is going to go red. So I'm so excited about that. Yes. So I actually excited. officially found what the rune is. It's a backwards fire rune with a little dot. So because it is, right? But because she of course is, it is magic. Like we hear that in the story. Yep. She is magic. She is fire. She is light. She is these things. That's That's just really cool to actually see. But she doesn't believe it. Right, and that's the thing that's standing in her way—not
1: anything to do with training. <laughs> but she does by the end of the episode. That's why mm-hmm. she has so much growth in this episode, and why this journey into the forest is so important to her. Is because she does. Because at the end of the of the episode, she, you know, when the one guard comes at her and she it touches his face mm. and she burns Fire. him, so. She is fire. I'm and that's when magic. she says, I'm magic. Like she Anchors. literally says that I'm magic. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so she knows, she knows. And I mean, she's not, she knows she doesn't have facility with magic yet, which is why then she's immediately getting on Willow's case about, well, if you just would give me the wand. um, But she you know she really kind of accepts it who she is now now she there's a lot of aspects to herself she doesn't know yet and there's a lot of other aspects to herself she has to has to make her peace with you know but for now at least she is starting to mm-hmm. realize who she is and and what that means
0: you know i don't even want to bring up what it, a lot of people on the internet probably think of her but it is a genuine a glorious heroine's journey, like it really is. Yeah, yeah. All right, yep.
1: I'm excited. I'm very excited, and and I just she she endeared. I just want to say she really endeared herself to me this episode. Like I liked her before well enough, but this episode I just was like, and now I love her. <laughs> now I protect. Yes, yes no, I love her yes, so exactly. much.
0: And all right, let's move on to maiden and mage. Let's talk about some archetypes. I think we know enough about Borman to uh, call him a passive hero or a coward.
1: Yeah, and I know that sounds weird. I know that pe- people might be listening. To this go like, what? How could you say he's cowardly? Well, but he is though because he's he's hiding from you know the rest of them. He's lying. He's you know he he's not really aiding in the quest in the way that he should be because he's yes. he's got his own agenda. So. He is, at the moment, he is the passive shadow form of the hero archetype, which is a coward. His focus is elsewhere, and I
0: think that that Mm -hmm. is just, yeah, it's very apparent that that makes him not want to engage with the quest at hand, and he's on his own thing, which makes him a coward. He's not embracing the true journey for himself. Yeah. Yeah. And our next guy we want to talk about is uh, Graydon Haster, (laughs) who is a maiden like uh, the other three Powerpuff Girls, uh, but very specifically a damsel because (laughs) Mm -hmm. he's an incompetent one and he always needs rescuing and he points out that he's no help to anyone. Yep. Except for... Inspiring yeah. Alora, yeah, exactly. Do you want to talk about that, which is is very classically damsel mm-hmm. as well.
1: Inspiring the true hero. Talked about this a little bit, but at the end of the previous episode, the you know she was able to successfully grow the berry bush. Now, I do want to mention, and we'll get into this later in the episode. She doesn't realize that she did that at this point in time. In fact, no one does, but Kit Kit is literally the yep. only one that knows in this episode that she successfully grew the berry bush. And that is really important for Oh uh, nuts. <laughs> I know, I love that.
0: Damn <laughs> it. I was too hard was, on her. Yeah,
1: her reaction was great. Um, but yeah, so so it's interesting cuz that is relevant to everyone's development in this episode. But it's interesting cuz the question would be, well what changed? What why why was she unable to do it the entire way through The previous episode and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden as she's being dragged away um after screaming in frustration why is she able to do it what changed and it's it is the faith that Graydon showed in her and Mm -hmm. not even just faith that he showed in her he even he challenged her at the same time he basically was like everyone else can see it why don't you so yes. the, he is, that is what he can do is he can inspire her. I also want to mention that when he's trying to rescue her and fails, he, you know, he, he's trying to untie her and she's like, isn't anyone else available? Um, and he doesn't succeed. She then unties herself. So again, yeah. she sort of is able to free herself because he tried first. So yes. Graydon is a damsel. He's not a hero yet, but he is helping Alora on her journey. Yes,
0: exactly. Absolutely. Let's dig into this episode. We have talked a lot about stuff to pay attention to, but this episode was a lot. We start out with the, in the Battle of the Slaughtered Lambs, which was directed by Debs Peterson, written by Wendy Maricel, uh, John Bickerstaff, and John Casden, And we start out with Thrax. Boorman being the narrator of this <laughs> important history, all about Chimeria, Thul and Tiberius, who are brothers, uh, set on a path of conflict, uh, both wanting to inherit the crown. Tiberius is, uh, has different ideas of how you should invoke leadership. Thule was sick from a young age. They have a mother. Named Annabelle, who was uh, a fay of the grove, <laughs> so she has fay blood. She was a fay, and all right. What do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about the origin of everything? Do you want to talk about what it means? Do you want to talk about this conflict? What do you? Where do you want to start? Because I have a lot to say. I
1: feel like you probably know more about it than I do. To be completely honest with you, I came out of this little historical <laughs> bit going, okay. That's good background. I don't know where they're going with that. Okay.
0: Chimeria is actually from, oh, you guessed it. Cthulhu. Of course it is. <laughs> it's one of the old lands that one of the future, like one of the writers who was writing in the Lovecraftian universe um, wrote about. And it's at, in the same world as Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian. Also, Cthulhu Mythos, if you didn't know, so it is a land that uh, you know, an empire that ruled long, long time ago. Thule is also a Lovecraftian empire um, that happened a long time ago, Uh, very similarly. Tiberius is, of course, just literally means of or near the Tiber River. What is Tiber? Rome. So I actually think that they're pulling on sort of the concept of Romulus and Remus for these twins and, you know, pulling in that. Eventually, the empire led to a downfall. It was as important as the Roman Empire. That's what they're saying. Um, the twins, Romulus and Remus, they had a disagreement about where, the, where they should build the town. And uh, Romulus ended up killing Remus. Or he fell from a wall depending on the telling <laughs> much like the brother who fell out of a tree. You mean? Yeah, exactly. Twins, brothers, lots of pairs. There's a lot of things going on where things are separated. Um, okay. So essentially all of this is just saying this was a really, really powerful, important place and it's powerful and important written multiple times. <laughs> um, the Chimerian Kiras being a magical defensive thing because it's given by the mother to the sick child. Um, the Lux Arcana is essentially light, Lux being the unit of measure for light. Uh arcana being meaning magic, basically in mod in a modern sense. It arcana is like the and how Graydon has used it. I can I know lots about Arcana magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, light it's a lightsaber. It's a lightsaber. It's a, it's a lightsaber or it's like a magical flashlight which is a lightsaber. It is the light of magic <laughs> in this world, right? That's the long and the short mm-hmm. of it. It's just a really old place with a magical bloodline built into it because she is the last blood of Chimeria. She has this magical bloodline from the mortal side, in addition to whatever else she is.
1: Well, and one of the things that Borman says in this story when he's talking about the Lux Arcana is that it only goes to the worthy, right? And so, this and and then the way that Borman treats it later, kind of you know, stealing it and sneaking out with it and everything, the this this is why it's not just a lightsaber in terms of, Oh, it's light and magical. It's also a lightsaber in terms of it is very similar to the way that the legacy saber is treated yeah. in the sequel trilogy. Exactly. So it's definitely going it be, to, it belongs to Laura. Yes. It's going to become very important yeah. because clearly she's going to be the one that's worthy to use it. And uh, it would be very interesting to see what hands it passes through on its way to her and what kind of, Well, what kind of conflicts it creates.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that Kit having that connection to it from a story perspective, from her father's perspective, may very well. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Well, and she believes she Mm -hmm. still believes that Mad Mardigan is dead. And we don't know if he is or not. But I feel like what we're seeing happen is that she is sort of gradually transferring her feelings about her father to the cuirass and that if she believes that yep. the cuirass can be recovered, it will be in a way to her bringing her father back. So I believe that she's yeah. going to have an intense emotional attachment to the cuirass and to the Lux Arcana associated with it. Um You know, because and and it's hers because it's all she has of her father, sort of thing. Exactly. I love what Borman says
0: about the cuirass protecting against the darkness that swallows.
1: Yeah. Well, exactly. There's the consumption against swallows. I love it. I was just like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yay.
0: We find out that Miss Muffin. (laughs) <laughs> as Kit calls her Miss Muffin. Muffin, as Kit calls her has gone missing, and she has been, of course, kidnapped by Valentine. She didn't get very far, which is great. Like I, I really like the the upfront confrontation. Yeah, Jade I liked that too. Jade finds mm-hmm. him and her right away, and mm-hmm. we instantly have this like emotional conflict. For yeah, Jade, it really so helps good.
1: because I, I do feel like you know they. Haven't given Jade as much to do as I would have liked. She's sort of just been kind of the recipient of Kit's emotions. And it's been nice to kind of see her have her own, Mm -hmm. uh, her own challenges and her own conflicts. So especially I think her interaction with Valentine, it was nice to see because you haven't seen him be in any way like himself or affectionate since he was turned. And so seeing him very clearly kind of react to her as, you know, hey, and I don't want to kill you. Yeah. That's how you know he is still in there at the time. And it does make it so much more powerful and poignant later. I think it's really important to call out that the ultimate threshold
0: guardians are parents. And in this case, Ballantyne plays both Sorsha, the parent to Alora. And to Jade. And the key is that when you confront your parent and you're like, hey parent, you need to let me go on my journey. And they're like, nah, I'm gonna take you back home. Mm-hmm. Um it, I love how Willow's like, nah, we're going on this journey. And you didn't really ask her. <laughs> She's trying to yeah. become a grown-up, you know, but but the The same goes for Jade, too, right? Like, Jade Jade is being told to kind of, you know, shut up and let me do what I'm going to do. And Mm -hmm. Jade's like, no, (laughs) I'm a grown up, or I'm trying to be, right? Really, really excellent from a mythic story perspective, Ballantyne playing the parental threshold Mm -hmm. guardian. Silas is
1: the best character ever. He's I love him so much. He's so fun. He's so good. (laughs) He's great. He's great. But this this fight scene is important because you get a few important things. And Kit, this is her first real fight. This is her first fight where she's facing a very serious threat. She's clearly not prepared for the brutality of it. And we see that immediately she ends up on her back. And, you know, really in an unfortunate situation, Jade has to... Turn away from fighting Valentine in order to save Kit, which is going to lead to their conversation later. But it's really important because what we see over the course of this episode is all of Kit's illusions about herself are getting torn down. She, you know, discovered she was wrong about Alora because she sees the berry bush. Mm-hmm. She discovers she was wrong about her own fighting skills, which she was very proud of and very boastful of in previous episodes. Uh, She just discovers really that everything she believed about herself is not true. And it really is kind of just wrecking her self-esteem completely. Ego death is a bitch.
0: Yeah, (laughs) because really, like, it's all of these senses of identity that Kit Mm -hmm. has built up that made her so overly confident and so sure of herself and in some ways so selfish because she felt like she always knew what was right Mm -hmm. that are being torn away. Oh, yeah, everything. It's It's
1: it's rough for her. It's (laughs) it's a rough episode for her overall. But that's really important. And then the other thing I think that we need to note is that Everyone in some way in this fight sequence fails. Yeah. And they all fail in some way. And then at the end of the episode, it's hard to say they succeed because it's not always success, but they definitely show some development. They have learned something. They've progressed from their failure that they had at the beginning of the episode. Greatest teacher failure is exactly Yoda up this so place. yeah so there's a yeah. there's a battle at the beginning of the episode and there's a battle at the end of the episode and you can see based on their behaviors in each one and even in in the blocking to the extent that you can see it in the darkness um you can really see how what they've learned from their experience mm. in that final battle
0: I know we already talked about Graydon being forced to rescue Allura like he's like go and free her Willow is to him and Are are you sure I'm qualified for something like this? He's a damsel, of course, right? Um, And then he shows up and he's trying to untie her. And, you know, I'm rescuing you. And it's like, was nobody else available? Okay, this is important. Why is this important? Not because of the failure. The failure is important, of course, and of course that she eventually ends up rescuing herself. But they are actually linked from a responsibility perspective because mm-hmm. Willow sent Gaiden. Yeah, you on a quest you to go her. and help there her. is you go free there her. is a rope between them yes as we have yes as we have pointed out in our Willow movie episode braids ropes. These are the ties between characters. I love
1: that so much and I that this whole it's so brief this moment but it's so huge and so important you can tell how much is going to be based off of it. I also want to mention that <clears throat> and this might require a tiny bit of background for anyone who maybe hasn't heard some of our other episodes, but this is Alora's moment of dismemberment. Mm, this mm-hmm, is, you know, her hands being tied. She cannot use them. This is her moment of, because again, remember, she doesn't know that she grew the berry bush. So she's currently not really, like the the power is there, but she's not conscious of it yet. And so she, and now that she's being tied up and taken away and whatever, her her power has kind of been forcibly removed or forcibly suppressed from without. Not her fault. It's, It's forces without her that are trying to prevent her. And so it's a a psychic dismemberment. It is, she cannot progress. She can't achieve what she needs to because her hands are quite literally tied. And so this is really, really important because when she frees herself later, that is when, what's the first thing she encounters after she frees herself is, again, this mystical experience in the dark forest where she finally, finally comes to the realization of her power and that she is a Laura down and she is magical and she fully understands what she can do. So, I just wanted to call out that that's the other thing that the tied Hands do. So there's just so much happening in these few seconds. <laughs> they
0: really packed it in. And I, I don't know that mm-hmm. everybody could catch that. Like it takes multiple watchings mm-hmm. for us. I've watched this episode four times. Yes. Yeah. That's ridiculous. i watched it two and a half,
1: and I'm still like, there's so much. There's so much. Here. Yeah. But
0: uh, Graydon himself is even like calling attention to the fact that he's a damsel. It's like, you know, I blew it whenever there's an opportunity to be heroic or even competent I freeze up he is stuck in this damsel mm-hmm. phase you know my father calls me an embarrassment to the name of Haster uh, it wasn't a particularly illustrious name to start with Um <laughs> That's great. That's important, <laughs> too. You have to also recognize, like, he recognizes that he's mm-hmm. not
1: the mm-hmm. hero. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's huge. It's important. And I I'm, I really appreciate that you said that he's stuck there, because this was another thing I noticed throughout the entire episode. A lot of those visual motifs of being stuck literally the wagon gets stuck in the mud and they're all trying, all these characters that are stuck are trying to pull this wagon out of the mud. And then even comes off. (laughs) Yeah. The wheel comes off. And then even Kit and uh, Borman, when they kind of strike off on their own, their horses are reluctant. Yeah. They can't get the horses to move and to come with them. So everyone is stuck. They're really struggling to move forward. Yeah. And
0: this is like quite common. And it's the universe giving them like barriers to succeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, They come across the hill and are derailed by the crone and the swirling vortex. uh, Speaking necotic. The stars yep. align, the door is open, the sphere turns, a god is awoken, extinguish the flames, snuff out the light, and exile the child to the thirteenth night. Okay, Crone, fine. This is good. This is really good. And uh, I do like the follow-up, which is <laughs> Willow saying, oh, you speak cursed, narcotic," <laughs> calling him out.
1: Oh, Willow yeah.
0: knows what's oh, going sure. on with well, this Well, I guy. like
1: that it comes from two places. It comes from a, hey, dude, why do you know all this dark stuff? And it also comes from a, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> why am I not the most knowledgeable person about magic here? He's genuinely jealous. Yeah. <laughs> he has a couple of
0: those moments of being like, wait, why am I? Am I High Oldwyn? Like, what do you like a couple of? Yeah. Those. Yeah. All right. Yeah, this stars is aligned. So that's a specific time. Uh, The door is open. That is, of course, to wherever this thing is. (laughs) The sphere turns. That's probably the earth turning. Um, The god is awoken. So it's pointing to a specific time and event where this god, this deep, dark, chthonic, ancient one uh, will be awoken. Extinguish the flame. Mm -hmm. That's Allura. Snuff out the light. That's Allura. Exile the child to the 13th night. It's a nice little couplet. It rhymes. It works. Who knew that the the crone's part time uh, hobby was <laughs> was poetry?
1: poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's and there's so many things happening here. It makes me so happy. So, for instance. The stars align. The door is open. Well, what did we see in the very first shots of the entire show? Was Willow's vision that occurred after the defeat of Bab Morton. I remember I said, "Hey, that looks a little bit like planetary alignment." Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not planetary, but definitely celestial. Yeah, you did say that are on talking, the door. Yeah, yeah, on a door. Exactly. So, so we know that these are recurring motifs. It's clearly very important. Uh, celestial alignment and timing is going to be huge going forward. Then you have exiling the child to the 13th night. I was super excited when they said this because I know you and I had talked about, wait a minute, there were 13 realms in the original mythology. Right. And then they said nine realms. But I think, and this is important, I think that what we're seeing here is the nine realms are the realms of light. Yes, There are three then, that are dark. There's
0: death, despair, there's, and the like right. demon race. Right. And then the 13th the
1: is like the, n- the nether world which yeah. is you know just kind of that nowhere if you will the world between it is worlds. The world between but the worlds, point yeah. is it is the world between worlds but that so i was very excited to see that because it, it shows that they have retained elements of the original mythology and so that was very exciting and we um, were worried about and it works really it. well we were about
0: it i don't know why we were worried but we were worried i don't know Graydon's like, wait, they're gonna kill her, aren't they? Oh, my poor baby Graydon. Oh, he's so worried. And poor thing. And, and Willow's like, no, worse. They'll banish her for eternity because she could be reborn otherwise. Oh, so she's a resurrecting god. Yeah.
1: Oh, love it.
0: Cool. That's so cool. deathless. Deathless god. Which also, you know, the things that we've learned, she is. She is the world. <laughs> she is yep. all of the magic in the world. And also, she can never truly die. She will be reborn, kind of like, I don't know, any sort of god out there. Wow. Cool. I love reincarnation. I know. It's great. happy. And then they ask what what the cloud is. This noxious twilight veil, a swirling vortex of rage and madness that there is no escape from. That's okay. very Cthulhu, isn't it? It is. It's super Cthulhu. Yeah. Um, it's actually the cloud that they, you see is sort of a swirling version of a cloud shelf, which commonly accompanies sort of large thunderstorms. It can, you mm-hmm. know. But so far, we've actually had uh, sort of two wind, uh, sort of air-related things, the gales, so like winds and clouds, mm-hmm. and this like... <laughs> noxious twilight veil <laughs> well, which is
1: clouds and storms right what I want to associate that back to is you know also that discussion of the stars mm-hmm. aligning later Hubert says to Alora something about her being celestial mm-hmm. and so I started to notice yeah, there's so many sky associated things yeah. here then you also have Willow is a farmer. Allura creates food, which is of the earth. Yeah. And then you have in this, this episode, again, characters going into the earth, characters getting stuck in the mud, yeah. characters being deep in a forest. So what you have is you have this duality of earth and sky. And sky. Yeah. Earth and sky.
0: And, and, and her three this names. Me. Yes like sky things like brunhild was a valkyrie and dove yep is a bird and elora is light right, in
1: the sky right. and when like, you see that yeah. earth and sky relationship and especially when they call in the star element of that uh this is where i start to go hmm is there some star girl going on here oh, okay yeah, yeah because yeah, yeah. Yeah. because you know that journey from earth to sky yeah is another huge part of hidden goddess yeah it is yeah
0: because you you are born of the earth you are humble beginnings you are in cover and you ascend and you ascend to the heavens mm-hmm. yeah interesting stuff yeah mm-hmm. all right uh laura has I- escaped from her captors goes into the woods we've already talked very deeply about these woods um there is like a theme in this where she's being hunted they're like right behind her it is very very snow white um and unbeknownst to her and she didn't realize this before she realized who she was and this is part of the identity reveal of the forest is that Laura Dannon has been hunted her whole life. And now she is just experiencing that. She goes through the dark forest, which we've already talked about. And she arrives in this
1: cottage and sort of o- open meadow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's almost like this sort of... <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's shining gold and it's so bright. And the way it's even filmed, it's when you're looking toward Alora you can see the dark forest behind her and then when you're looking from Alora's perspective you see this golden light emerging out of the darkness mm-hmm. and you know suddenly you hear like bird noises and everything it just it's suddenly it just really does feel like she passed into another world which of course she did, she did. that's what's happening here yes okay
0: let's talk about Hubert this this scene uh, has created a lot of con- conversation online. People are like, oh, these people are evil. Oh, these people are good, you know? And, and it, it just sort of created a lot of controversy because I don't know that people were expecting them to be dressed anachronistically, of course, jeans, you know? Mm-hmm. But her axe, so Hubert's axe in general, a double-headed axe is... Associated with a goddess, it's it's actually uh from Minos the the origin of the double-headed axe, and it was only associated with goddess figures from Minos. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. <laughs> when it started out, right, and then it traveled, but it looks the axe itself looks ancient and old. Mm. In contraversion, like in 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 parallel with her sort of more modern esque. Outfit Um, I personally think That these characters Anne and Hubert Are heralds of the threshold So they tell Our heroine uh, All of the challenges That face them Uh, They announce the coming change What is going to happen, (laughs) Laura? Yep And they also serve as um, Sort of motivation Mm -hmm. to continue on I know you have
1: so many thoughts on this. So I do. I'll let you go. So I'll start with <laughs> I didn't see it that way, but I also don't think you're wrong. I think that all makes a lot of sense to me. And what I think is so fascinating about these characters and this whole sequence is the fact that they can be, in fact, all of these things. Yes. So if you have a theory about, who they are and yeah. what they represent. Are they the crone? You are probably right. Are they the
0: crone yeah, you... interfering and delaying exactly. her in the wood, right? So that, uh, mm-hmm. could catch up with her. Um, it, it struck me off guard that her axe is named Rorgoth, which sounded like Morgoth to me. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that's evil sounding, mm-hmm. you know, but, but they could also just be friendly helper people in the woods yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah are giving her
1: the things that she needs. And that's the key to, to me on. here is that to me, it doesn't actually matter whether they are from a malevolent source or not, because ultimately the outcome is the same, mm-hmm. which is they help Alora on to understanding who she is, what her place is in all of this. And what she needs to do next. So, it is really hugely important. A couple things I want to specifically point out is that a lot of what they tell her are things that she knows on some level, so they are helping to bring this deep knowledge to the fore yeah. so that she can accept it and realize it, you know, completely because like she even says when she's rebuilding her ego, in her right. perspective of who she is and her identity mm-hmm.
0: inside of the cocoon of the dark. Yeah, forest. because
1: when you know yeah. when Willow tells her she's a Laura and she's like, oh, okay, and she just kind of trusts him and goes with it, and and mm. you know tries her best and everything. But you can tell she doesn't really feel it on a deeper level, and specifically because at that point she hasn't been separated from willow yet and tested so the minute she's away from willow then she starts to immediately question well am i really maybe i'm not and so and you hear that in the way that she tells her story to these women <laughs> yeah it's like well i don't know am i maybe i'm not maybe kit's right and so yeah that's really important the other thing too is they offer her their food and our understanding is she actually does in fact eat of their food this is important this is the like the eating the food of the underworld. It is she is taking something of them into herself. Now it is part of her. So whatever knowledge she gained in this interaction is now part of her. She's integrated it into her. So that's hugely important. And it's a mushroom. A mushroom is sort of born of death. So it's sort of like her beginning to accept her place in the life-death life cycle, the fact that death is part of you know, what, what she will achieve in her role as the goddess will be death is part of that. Yeah. And sometimes things will die. And that's proven by
0: the deaths of Hubert and Anne in front of her. And, you know, and I, I I still think that effectively from like a Joseph Campbell perspective, a good or a bad character in encountered in such a way that reveals the truth of your journey to you is always a herald right and mm-hmm. but these ones are are so tricksy <laughs> it's just such yeah. a unique way to display it you know typically it's a woodsman we get w- woods women yeah <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it, it's it's absolutely a unique way to do it and i love you know i love that hubert when uh you know sort of pr- approached by valentine and you know she's like i'm gonna protect Alora." you know this all plays into there are gonna be people that are gonna sacrifice themselves for you Alora, going forward this is this is part mm-hmm. of the dark truth that death aspect that you mentioned violence is never our preferred path but we we yeah. sometimes gotta yeah, do it
1: right well and there's a couple other things i want to make sure that we call out here so first i want to talk what you said about Hubert and, you know, the, the woodsman mm-hmm. sort of archetype that appears in a lot of these stories and everything based on all the evidence, I would be, su- wouldn't be surprised if Hubert was written as a man and simply cast as a woman. I like that comes a lot yeah. to, you know, across a lot because Hubert is only used as a masculine name historically. Um, also, I love the meaning Hubert means mind bright. And so from my yeah. perspective, this means enlightening. Yes, enlightening. <laughs> they are going to, you know, illuminate Allura's mind and clarify to her, you know, again, her purpose, her role. This is all really, really important. So that gets me very excited. Another thing is, even though they tell her, oh, you know, people might die for you. We we are willing to die for you. I also want to point out, this is the first of several times that Elora successfully prophecies without realizing she's doing it in the episode. So the first time is when she's trying to get them to listen to her. And she's telling, she says, they're coming and, and they might kill you. That And then they do. Yeah. And then I'll point out the other times that it happens yeah. later, but that happens several more times. She keeps prophesying things, just sa- saying something offhand. And then it immediately comes true right after she says it. So she doesn't realize she's doing it. But she she keeps doing it. Ooh, yeah, that's cool. It is very cool. And
0: yeah, we do. We do get the, you know, repeat of the symbolism that you talked about with the the mm-hmm. mushroom in that um, when they do die, Valentine goes to her and says, this was your your responsible. Yes. All you have to do is submit. Yes. I.e. still acting as a threshold guardian. Yeah. Don't you dare go off on your journey, Alora. Go to the 13th night. Go to your bedroom, you <laughs> yeah. it, The equivalent for a goddess, right? Go, go and get locked and don't mm-hmm. change, right? No, you have to try That's transform. very cool. Um, at the same time as sort of this whole uh, event is happening,
1: um, the team splits up. I want to talk about two things there. Okay. Because I think I loved it. So there were two things that I just laughed at hysterically. I loved it. The first one was <laughs> they were Silas was talking about how like, no, we should go... Through the voluptuous veil. And then a few minutes later, when Kit has to the reference the voluptuous veil. veil, she calls it the veil of boobs. And I yeah. died because I was like, yeah, there's Kit and her one-track mind. Yeah, she's- very, Like she hears the word voluptuous and is immediately like, yeah, boobs. And I love that. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. The pitiless
0: pass and the voluptuous veil. It's very uh, like nursery rhyme. Esque like to have yes um alliterative names they split up Borman's like I'm going this way I know this good inn called the slaughtered lamb this is the fastest way and great and Kit's like I'm going with you I want to hear more stories about my dad he had dropped those hints heavily yeah (laughs) Uh, oh yeah no that was very come with me Kit you know and Graydon's like don't let anything happen to
1: yes and I love (laughs) the It makes me so happy because i'm like he doesn't use her name he just says my queen so who
0: is he talking about so yes on surface kit obviously right like that's who is sure that's it. what he but means in a willow-esque fashion sometimes characters mm-hmm. say something and it is transformed over the course of the story borman is supposed to be going the fastest way to Alora dannon who is his yep. queen Interesting. We love it. Yep. This is yep. so Willow. It's just yep. it's unbelievably Willow. If they end up wait, did you it. mean? Like, I think you said Borman. You meant Graydon. That's okay. I know what you. Sorry, mean. Borden was Borman right. was going. <laughs> Borman was going to the f- on the fastest way, and Graydon said, "Don't let yes, anything yes. happen to my queen, who is on the fastest way too." Is Alora right? Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I love it.
0: Makes me happy. All right, uh, we get the continuation of the Borman Kit story. It starts out, and every time, every time that he starts out this story, I'm just like Kit, shut up, like <laughs> stop. I want, yes. I want to hear the mythological, historical history of this place, and you keep on being like, but what about my dad? <laughs> I was frustrated with her this episode, but I understand. No, not like in a mad way, but more just like, I do not want to hear more about the Thule guy. Thule
1: impaled his little brother on a spike. That does not sound like a good thing. No, that was pretty intense. Yeah, that was, it's interesting because I'm very curious to see if they are going to create parallels with Kit and Eric. You know, if if Eric is turned in some way, prior to their being reunited, are we going to see some serious competition between them? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I also found this, uh, this
0: line super funny. He talks about, uh, he talks about his, uh, you know, how he was taller, and how like Mad Martigan was shorter. But in real life, Val Kilmer is five foot eight, and he is five foot seven.
1: Really? Yeah, I had no idea. And so that's
0: so funny. Like how he refers to Val-, Val Kilmer's character, Mad Martigan, is sort of like how he actually is. Like because he's the funny man sidekick. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. he was the squire. He wasn't the knight. It's just, it's it's a really interesting way because at some point in the future, he tells Kit that it, later on in the episode, he says, oh, about a third of it was true. So this is one of those mm-hmm. untrue things. And, yeah, you know, so how much of it was true? We, I'm... We, we won't, won't know yeah. yet.
1: But yeah. I also want to make sure that we talk about the interaction between Willow and Silas. Yes. Because, uh,
0: Yeah when they're when they're that's next yeah that's next yeah yeah but Mm -hmm. i just i like how focused kit is on the cuirass and on this and how it's all through this like very rose-colored glasses explanation Mm -hmm. by uh by borman and it Mm -hmm. all boils down to you know if he was back things would be different because we would have the cuirass and we would have defense again against the Mm crown. But again, we've talked about this in the first episode. Yep. You can't just yeah. defend. Okay. Uh they get stuck mm-hmm. in the mud. Stuck in the mud because everybody stuck this episode. <laughs> and Graydon is speculating on while pushing the wagon with Jade that he that Willow moved the Nelwins underground because, you know, maybe the sorcerer lost his bojo. So my question for you, Missy, is is this how Willow Willow gets his Group back.
1: I don't know because, and here's the reason I say I don't know is this is because and this what I thought was so weird, really, in context. Okay. We talked in the, our discussion of the movie about the fact that there did seem to be a cost to yeah. using magic. And but we focused on the cost of using borrowed magic, which seemed to us to be more significant than using your own magic which was always creative and not destructive. So here and it's again it's hard to tell because we've seen so little sort of real yeah. magic so far. We it, it appears that there's a cost to all magic and willow even references at some point magic punishing which I thought was very strange the idea that he would you know say that yeah. using magic punishes I thought that we've, was odd. But then the last thing I wanted to never seen to that mention with-
0: Finn Rizal or with Bev yeah. No,
1: that- I think it's just the particular
0: type of magic that Willow does. Because it's but not his own. But that's the thing.
1: But that's the thing. It's not even just that it isn't his own. We've actually seen him do very, very little, again, quote, unquote, mm-hmm. real magic. He he go, he does anything he can to avoid yeah. doing magic. So he still relies a lot on what are effectively tricks. Yeah. And so like, for instance, like the smoke bomb thing that he threw during the early battle, that was effectively just a trick, really. I don't think he actually used any real magic yeah. there. And so it, it's just... He's avoiding using magic even though he can and he claims that he has it's a limit because it takes yeah that it takes a toll on him and I'm just trying to figure out if that's really the case it, because I think it has to do
0: with where it, he's at in his journey as a crone as yeah. a as a hermit mm-hmm. that he hasn't he hasn't come back. Right, he ha- he he's yeah. resisting uh, the return to mm-hmm. out of the underworld. Yeah.
1: And I know we keep right. talking about how Alora's is going to be able to do all the things that he can't do, but that also that doesn't allow him the opportunity to become the mage. Yeah. He does have to rediscover that power and rediscover, and he has to discover something new that he hasn't yeah. done before or hasn't used before, so that he can eventually sort of reach that stage of enlightenment. Now. Where, you know, the the cycle continues. But that's really
0: important because
1: uh, students
0: teach the mentor in these journeys how to get over their crone state. That's that's key. Yep. They drag them out from the underworld and bring them back on the path, and they uh, rediscover their power. Yeah,
1: yeah. Willow is going to get his mojo back. The question is, does it happen after the events of this episode? No, no, I don't think so. I think he still has more. He needs to learn and more he needs to go through. He's not there yeah. yet.
0: And we get, but uh, the continuation yeah. of those of him, like I'm old, I'm decrepit, I don't have my groove in that, you know, imagine, remember the old days, Silas, when I, you know, we were out and on the farm <laughs> and then I still had yep. energy. And then we dance all night. Dance all night with Kaya. Dance until dawn with Kaya. Oh man, Kaya, Aww. drink. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, I and my, my husband, uh, Kyle, actually pointed out that um, the actress who played her was significantly older than Warwick Davis when yes. they filmed the original, yes. and so she's in yep. her seventies now. There is no yeah. way that she could have come back, probably, and like made it. Yeah,
1: natural. but I yeah. I hope they don't just leave it an open question. I hope they they do tell us eventually what happened to the character because and and to Rannon because that yeah. seems kind of huge. It feels open. Right, we'd want to know what yeah. happened. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Yep. Um. So did you have any other thoughts on Silas? Silas and Willow being best buddies is like, I lived for it. This episode, it was so good.
1: Silas says to him, you know what you've got to do? And I was like, oh, hello, Kylo. (laughs) 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 Um, It's just, they're different contexts. They're not the same thing. But the idea that the knowledge is there just keeps recurring over and over and over again. These characters know on some fundamental level what it is that they have to do. They're just afraid. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have Kit and Burman arriving
0: at the uh, Slaughtered Lamb Destroyed Inn. They enter into an underground tunnel. Love and it. And they find the well. And... Uh, wells are really interesting. Where rats are
1: really interesting. Yes, there's so much cool symbolism in this whole sequence, especially
0: around the conversation that they're having and that Borman is lying to her. Like from a western mm-hmm. symbolism perspective, rats are lying, betraying, immoral, harbingers of doom. Yeah, but
1: they also pass by snakes down <laughs> yes, there, do. which is yeah. the consumption motif again, as well as the. You know, sort of untrustworthyness. Um, associate. They're in a graveyard, there's so it's association with death. It's yeah, a descent. A descent. But yeah,
0: it is. It mm-hmm. is a uh, underworld journey for Borman specifically. He goes to yeah. the underworld. <laughs> yeah. Um. And they're having conversations
1: about you know. Uh, yeah, Alora. Oddly, well, like that sequence. I thought he sounded like he was so distracted by you know trying to lie to her as he was hiding the arcana that he um you know she she's kind of talking about um i can't believe you dragged me down here and everything he's like he's like oh yeah you know like uh like Alora, right and yeah. everything <laughs> and, the, and he doesn't realize he can't see her so he doesn't realize he hit a sore spot and so then he starts talking about like well, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, if she could actually do any magic, then that would be different. And meanwhile, Kit is sitting here miserable because, of course, she knows at this point that Alora can yeah. do magic. So she's just wrecked at the again, this this whole she's having this crisis of identity because she was just wrong about so many things. And she really can't handle it. Punishing her because of your dad leaving. Yeah, <laughs> like,
0: yeah, like exactly. a psychologist. like she's having a yeah. she's having a moment in her inner psyche here. She
1: really is. Of course, she's immediately thereafter confronted with the two-headed rats, the wear rats. Which, I mean, I know everyone knows this, but we we loved it from the second we heard the, in the preview him say whereabouts because we were like, oh, it's the R.O.U.S.'s, yeah. the rodents of unusual and, size. And we know they watched Princess Bride as like,
0: you know, one of yep. the kind of movies to, ki- to get the vibe from. And yeah,
1: it has the same. This is the second direct yes. reference that I'm aware of. The first one being uh, uh, death cannot stop, sure love. Yeah, only delay it for a little while.
0: Um, we mm-hmm. get Valentine showing up and they see the horses from Kit and Berman and they're like, why are there horses here? Is this a trap? It's like, no, why would they just leave? Never mind. Like it. Unfortunately, it starts to like be super dark at this point. And I totally understand if people were like, I can't see anything. Cause I watched mm-hmm. it on my iPad and on my TV. My TV was
1: fine-ish and my mm-hmm. iPad I couldn't yeah. see anything. No, my TV yeah. was okay. I any if I tried to watch on any other device, it was very difficult to see. And even on my television, like I, I could see what was going on well enough, but I couldn't see detail, which annoyed me when I wanted to see like facial expressions and stuff. That yeah. was not happening. So um, very disappointing please everyone bless you we love you but learn how to light these scenes we know it's possible we've seen it's it done, done.
0: yeah <laughs> <But> valentine's <laughs> like we're heading to the gateway we're going home and laura's like you're gonna die look at you you're literally the second time she
1: apart. prophecies
0: their death exactly she prophecies correctly absolutely yes and then yeah, and then she she burns them by touching their faces, like rejecting them, and is like,
1: I'm magic. I capers. love it. I love it. She's like, I'm magic. And it's funny because I, I love the way she talks, but at the same time, sometimes the way she draws out her vowels, it's really obvious that this is not her natural accent. And so it always makes me giggle a little bit when she like gets overly excited like that. And I'm like, oh, I love your really forced American accent. Oh, one
0: great. thing I missed was uh, so, Willow having a sort of a vision of Alora. Laura. She ha- he has two visions. Mm-hmm. He sort of has the vision of her... And she's sort of bathed in white light and her eyes are Oh yeah. And then That's she right. had a vision of Loved it. A castle. Which we find out later is Nokmar, and so he knows where they're headed, yes. and that's how they're able to catch mm-hmm. up with them because they know where they're going. So it makes it really easy. Everybody shows up at the same time through fairy tale journey magic.
1: So first, um, yes, they see the horses there, but that's important for Alora, and there is a brief close-up on her face even in the darkness, so you can understand what's happening because up to that point, she sort of has. You know, after after watching her two companions die in the forest, she has sort of meekly been going along with Valentine right. and the others. And she sees the horses, recognizes them, and without necessarily realizing exactly what has happened, is thinking... Oh, they came for me. Right. They're here. And so Fights. she gives her the courage. Yeah. Yes, it gives her the courage to turn around and say, actually, no, I'm not going with you. And that's when they start this confrontation. So I love that, that again, this realization that she's not alone gives her the courage to stand up and to fight back. And then the next thing is she says, I am a Laura Dannon and I will do a spell that will summon the forces of good to my aid. And on the one hand, on the surface, it's meant to be funny because she tries the same spell that she used to grow the bush, which we're assuming is probably not a combat spell. But it actually succeeds because she does summon the forces of good to her aid because the next thing keeps sort of performing magic in a way without realizing she's doing it so i love this i love that she says this and it's drawn out as like this funny moment of oh haha she's bluffing and she doesn't know what she's doing but then it works because grayden Jade, willow and silas appear right after and grayden has his amazing line but stay away
0: from her silly yeah, so, silly like, ninnies
1: damsel Such
0: a baby yes yeah. i
1: know Such a baby, it's the eternal one will cleanse the
0: world of all disease and pain. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, sure, yeah, right, whatever. Also, Jade threw a rock at Valentine's face that creates a gash that's peeling back his mask or skin, um, you know, that he has that is the the, the corrupted part of him taken over by the crone and sort of in a way revealing that the true Valentine is still there underneath. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, so good, Mm, sad. The uh, Kit Kit and Borman are uh, surrounded by were-rats and uh, end up, uh, after Borman grabs the Lux Arcana, end up having to flee from the well into depths unknown. The fight continues. Alora is sort of rescued by Graydon awkwardly. (laughs) Very awkwardly. And they go to Willow and Willow's like, well, I've got, if we could all just stop fighting, I've got... Some semirilian wax in the wagon, and it's like the universe <laughs> is saying, "No, no, Willow, you no, have you're not." You magic. Yep. Yeah. Silas tries, or Graydon tries to save Silas. Si- Silas returns the favor. Uh, that ends up hurting Silas mortally. I really appreciated this because although Graydon is so incompetent, he actually did manage to stab the guy. Yes. Silas.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's what I'm saying about how like all the things that they failed at at the, yeah. in the first battle, they do have a measure of success in the battle at the end. And you know, so just to back up a little bit, cause I want to make sure we give the full attention to what happened with Silas before we get there. But um, when Graydon saves Alora, she says, I won't let anyone else die because of me. Yes. She's showing what she's learned from her experience with the women in the forest and how they did die for her. But on the other hand, again, she's prophesying once more because Graydon is about to be injured, which will then be revealed at the end of the episode. And I think right now we're going to assume that in some way she's going to heal him, which is her not allowing someone else to die because of her. So I think that's another prophecy. I also like that in this scene, we get a brief moment. It only lasts for a few seconds, but I loved it. Jaden Kit battle couple. yeah, Mo- moving in Our sync. Courtly lesbian to like, fighting ah, together. Yes, it was lovely. Yes, yes. I was excited.
0: Uh, it was brief, but it was great. Silas drops Willow, freaks out. He uses his staff, and I described this as. Uh, Slapping the evil out of them yes. with magic. That's
1: exactly what it looked like. I was thinking the same <laughs> thing.
0: That's exactly. And he approaches <sighs> Silas and is just like, I can save you. Oh. He crawls through the water. I can heal you. I can fix you. I can fix, fix you. you. Sil- can fix Silas you. is like, no. We got oh. so much catharsis in this episode for us. Yeah. Like, it's wild. Yeah. Like, Silas, we got a lot. Like, he's like, just tell Libby, Liddy, Libby that I love her and I died doing what. I I was meant to do Saving My Best Friend. Oh.
1: Oh, Oh my gosh. I loved it. It was just, yeah, like, the deaths were sad, but they they were given the space Mm -hmm. and the respect that they need in the story. Characters who would logically be affected by them were affected by them. It was really important. I, I appreciated that, that they, you know, they gave each of them their own moments so that you understand how this is going to impact these characters going forward. Their, their deaths are not going to be throwaways. They're all, they're going to, you know, significantly influence the events from here on. Exactly. Um,
0: and then Valentine is, you know, having this really amazing moment with Jade and you know, he really reaffirms her competence. Every road you've walked down has led you to this. The crone fears Alora Dannon. You know, training you you have to get her to the immemorial city. It's up to you now. Training, raising you has been the greatest honor. Oh my goodness. And and okay, so I got there, a little emotional. There's so much important <laughs> things that happened in this really small scene, which this actor like acted the crap out of because he's had to play evil and also good, right? Um, okay, so there's an important step in heroic journeys where you kill your parents. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And it's like the killing of the father, which is, you know, um, from a Star Wars perspective, it reminded me a lot of the moment that luke took off vader's mask it also reminded me a lot um just stepwise kylo killing han solo controversial but important because it's really really important when you meet your father on the road on the road of trials it is not your father you must kill your father Because your father, that you should be listening to, is on the inside. There's a saying, you know, if you meet Buddha on the road, kill Buddha, because it's not Buddha. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's the idea, is that you need to be... Jade needs to be the parent to herself going forward. She needs to take, be her own lead and counsel. And the only way you can do that is metaphorically killing... Your father, and in Willow, when things are metaphorical, they become literal. Yeah,
1: the journey from maiden to hero is one of gaining independence because the state of maidenhood is dependence on on parents or mentors. So yes, the only way mythically that you can progress from maiden to hero, where you are an independent hero is to kill your parents that's the only way it happens because then you rely upon yourself and what's fascinating about it is as we mentioned before it is cyclical it's important to break away from your from other people and become your own but you person back. but then a lot of right a lot of the other stages are then about coming back into community and what that means and it starts slowly it starts with you know you progress on to to mother or queen where you only care about your own people. So you care about others, but only, only your people and only your children.
0: And then King is, you care about the world and the community in the world. The community. Yeah. The world, the larger community, the kingdom. And then Crone, you only care about yourself because you're dead (laughs) because you're dead. And then you care
1: about everything, the universe as mage. Yeah. Yeah. Mage, you care about everything. You understand how it's all related. Exactly. So so what you saw here is an important step in yep, Jade's exactly. progression from um, Maiden to Hero.
0: We see that uh, Graydon is hurt and his scar is glowing. I don't think that he was actually necessarily like attacked in the same way as like the others were attacked to turn them into these kind of like dark ghouls. Um, I actually think that he was just like yeah, same. by the bad magic and it like. It reactivated his old wound because that's where he had a scar previously. And yes. So again, he's like, bad magic. Like, now I'm cursed. Uh, But it's like his old wound that's like Mm -hmm. opened up, basically.
1: And we didn't talk about what he said about that earlier, but specifically what he said yeah. was bad magic is corrosive. It eats away at you until there's nothing left. And remember, he's extremely educated about dark magic and everything associated with it. So I think it's a that's a good theory. I like it that he has encountered this mm-hmm. kind of dark magic in the past, maybe arrested yep. its progress in some way. And exactly. now, like you said, it's come back. And that is basically just something psychologically, something resurfacing, a wound that has never really been fully healed is now resurfacing.
0: Yeah, I, I wrote down it's old emotional damage that's over his heart. Uh, the pain that ha- he had endured had been covered. yes. Up. It's over uh, his and left. The wound. Yep. And this totally mm-hmm. makes sense with what we heard ha- will happen in episode four, which is his real life brothers, Tony's real life brothers, are going to be present in episode four. So we're going to get flashbacks of what happened when his brother fell out of a tree or probably he did some dark magic and one of them died. It, yeah. They stumble up the hill because Alora's like, he's hurt. We've got to help him. We need shelter. The I guess they could have gotten back in with the were-rats, but no, no, no. That's not a good idea. So they continue and go up now. the steps. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they know where they are. It's Nokmar, which is... I'm so excited. Laura's birth home. This is where she was born within the darkness. Yep. Right? Within, the, within the absolute muck of the dark side, effectively, in Willow. <laughs> She was born. She was born on the. Death I'm star. so excited for yeah, next episode. That's the episode. equivalent. Yeah. <laughs> in yeah. The darkest. Yeah. Dungeon yeah exactly. That's darkest exactly what happened. 100%. Of percent
1: Yeah. Yep. Love it. Ah, uh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So excited. All right, next episode's Absolutely. gonna be great. I can just feel it. Any I can feel final it. thoughts, Missy? Um, I feel like we need to address the elephant in the room, which is. Uh, People have different feelings (laughs) about the music that plays over the credits.
0: I'm actually, I'm actually very like (laughs) eh, Um, neutral about it because I've seen like Ladyhawk, which is very much like this. Uh, You know, Knight's Tale. Did you know? There's like this attempt to meld modern and other and i know it could be super jarring if you're like not expecting it it ends up getting better when you watch the episodes multiple times because you're like oh yeah the music is coming but when it we're like in the mm-hmm. moment you don't know how much long is left in
1: the episode suddenly you get edger Sandman,
0: <laughs> you're like wait a second
1: yeah so i'll explain why i'm struggling with it and and i mean Obviously, people are going to have different feelings about it, and that's totally okay. But for me personally, and I don't know if this is true for anyone else, but the framing device that they selected for this show is a storybook. So you open a book and you close a book or you turn a page, whatever. But the point is, they did not start like you want to use Night's Tale as an example. Night's Tale opens with We Will Rock You. They make it extremely clear what you're doing from the very beginning. You know exactly what you're getting into. So my issue is I, I wouldn't mind it at all if it ran only over the credits. It's the starting it a few seconds before the credits run that just yanks me right out of my immersion in the world. Especially when something as dramatic as <laughs> Raiden's hurt is happening. <laughs> like Like, I'm supposed to be concerned for this character. safety it's in the
0: script that this happens it's not like an after choice
1: (laughs) no and that's the thing is that like and it it feels like and i think that you know based on some conversations we've had it sounds like that decision is made on the the lyrical appropriateness to it which is fine i'm not going to argue that i'm not going to argue that the lyrics are very appropriate to the situation i'm totally fine with that my issue is for me at least the the actual style of it really, really yanks me out of the immersion. It really bugs me. And I feel like that's a problem in general that this show, for me at least, has been struggling with, although it is getting better over time. But is... um they kind of want to have yeah. their cake and eat it too when it comes to style. We get this a lot with dialogue as well. The dialogue goes back and forth between like very like and then, you know modern fantasy medieval yeah. and yeah. extremely modern. Yeah, extremely modern yeah. to the point of almost breaking the fourth wall sometimes. So it it goes back and forth between them, and it sometimes it's quite jarring. So. Um, we'll see what happens. I think they're they, they are starting to gain yeah. their footing a little more. And obviously, you know, as a viewer, I'm just going to kind of adjust because clearly this is just these are the choices they've made and this is what they're doing and that's fine. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to at least mention it since I know it's been, there's been some conversation about it online.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be worth it to actually talk about the lyrics with regards to each episode at some point. Sure. Because last week's episode, that one is messing with me because the original version of that song is so hypnotic it's wild (laughs) the the singer does this thing with the timbre in his voice that matches the rhythm that it vibrates Mm -hmm. around the notes it's wild um and of course enter sandman you know, it's about nightmares and dreams and being kind of.
1: I love this song. In, in That's why it was so <laughs> annoying. Is I'm like, but I love this song. Why is it? Yeah, and and so, like yeah. having these I like, do. these like
0: femme versions of mm-hmm. them like redone is really cool. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, I can totally. You know, it has knocked me out. The first episode, especially, knocked me out. I was like, wait a sec. The second episode, I yeah. thought, worked better. This episode i was already used to it so i was okay but yeah no i can totally see it as like something so our two critiques light your sets and uh <laughs> you know there is a way that you could have maybe done a classical version that blends exactly into the song exactly and then totally by agree. the time it gets to the credits it's like the full rock version that's a, yep. just a kind of a smoother way um to do that a knight's tale actually does that with the dance scene and (gasps) golden years so
1: it's totally possible to do (laughs) hey marie claire can we do a breakdown of a knight's tale sometime yes yes let's do it
0: let's do it yeah (laughs) all right missy where can people find you if they're looking for you online all
1: right right now you can find me on tumblr at all girls are princesses if you see me on twitter no you don't (laughs) (laughs) you're
0: so funny occasionally you're on there you're just retweeting and (laughs) hiding uh don't tell anyone reminder to everybody to submit your comments and questions in the form in the lighter notes of this episode we love reading them we love hearing from you and we've been really really enjoying including your feedback in the show awesome cheers bye Thank you for listening to What The Force. I'm Marie-Claire Gould, your host. Our music is provided by Christy Carew for What The Force. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash whattheforce. We would like to thank all our patrons, especially those who love and are obsessed with What The Force, Melody, Night Huntress, In Wild Space, How Rude, Anna Perez, Neil, Joe Allen D, Christian Luca, Josh Johnson, Scott C, and Susan. Make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube or leave a five-star review on iTunes or other their pod apps it helps people find the show check out our other channel on youtube what the fiction you can connect with us on twitter at wt 4 show what the force podcast on facebook and our website whattheforce.ca we also have a discord links are in the liner notes feel free to reach out and start a conversation cheers